You are now listening to The Unit Report. Listen as we take a deep dive into the world of sports centered around Pittsburgh. Now, your hosts, Lucas and Troy. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to this edition of The Unit Report. Um, For this episode... It is going to be pretty NHL heavy, a good amount of stuff coming out this week, and um, a lot of uncertainty into the future with everything going on with the current um, pandemic and just scheduling nightmares, if you want to call it that. Um, Lucas, if you want to start us off. Yeah, sure. Um, Kind of a goofy story to start off this episode, but early last week, it, uh, Braden Holtby was trying to cross the border, uh, the former Washington capital, now Vancouver Canuck. He's trying to get over to the uh, Canadian side of the border so we can start training camp whenever that is for the Canucks. And he got held up at the border because of his pet tortoises. Uh, not re- much really more to say about that, but just kind of an interesting uh, little tidbit. There was an update, however. He was able to get his tortoises across. And it was a very big thing on hockey Twitter that um, – he, you know, he was like finally able to get across, and everyone was rallying behind him and his little tortoises. But eventually he got across, and all is well on that front. We're happy for Braden. Uh, and other former Capital News, uh, f- former NHL forward Joel Ward, he got hired as an assistant coach with the Henderson Silver Knights. And this is a big deal because uh, around hockey there's not many black coaches, and getting Joel Ward – uh, a highly respected former player into a coaching position for a uh, highly regarded organization with Vegas. I think it's really awesome, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just proud of him. What do you have to say about that one, Troy? Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of ironic that this ended up happening just in the order of things with um, like baseball last week with a huge break break breakthrough. Um, yeah, definitely good to see. Kind of nice to see, I guess, the chain reaction. I'm sure this was well planned in advance, but it seems like in the past couple of weeks, we've definitely been seeing uh, more and more of this of hockey getting more diverse. And um, yeah, I guess opening up new chapters of the book that uh, haven't been opened before. And just a side note, I don't know if you follow Vegas on um, social media or anything, but this new expansion AHL team, the Henderson Silver Knights, they have the best like facilities in the league. It's the, it looks like a like an NHL team. Like that's how much like money that they've put into this team. It looks like it's going to be a really highly regarded like top of the line AHL team. So, congrats to Joel and uh, you know that entire organization. It's going to be a good uh, fit, I think. But. And a little more somber news is that we're not even at training camp yet, and we already have COVID outbreaks among some teams. Uh, the Golden Knights announced yesterday, I believe, that four of their players tested positive, and the Columbus Blue Jackets released a statement saying several players have tested positive for COVID. And arenas and cities around the league are preparing for training camp. We haven't got a date yet for that, but things already aren't looking that good, Troy. Yeah, we're already behind schedule because um, I think like it was a little over a month ago we uh, talked about their initial schedule where I think they were either supposed to start training camp. I think it was earlier this week or the beginning of next week. But, um, yeah, definitely not good. It's – I don't know. I feel like the biggest hurdle for all the teams are going to be getting everyone to the point of where they are testing negative consistently and then like – I guess, starting the bubble from there, because it seems like once they get into the bubble and get the ball moving, it seems like everything was fine with the previous season and everyone kind of, um, I guess, congregating at once just because everyone got sent home with the season ending. And it seemed like that was the biggest hurdle is really getting everyone together, you know, kind of got got to get everyone in the same mindset. And, um, yeah, they – it definitely showed um, like how much I guess mentally this had a big impact on the players from just staying isolated and with that like make I guess that mentality that they need to uh, make the right decisions in order to uh, keep the season progressing and now we're looking at the regular season instead of playoffs where it's going to be a 
you know, 60 game or whatever it is season. So, um, yeah, we have a little bit more on that in a little bit. But, yeah, I think this is going to be the biggest hurdle. I think once everyone gets back, they'll be all right. But it's just now that everyone's with their family and spread out everywhere else. Because I know, like, Malkin and Ovechkin, they went back to Russia. So you're now dealing with, like, you know what I mean? The rules vary enough state by state, more or less country by country. I mean. it's a good point. It's all over the place. So I guess getting everyone to, you know, get on the same mindset and follow the NHL rules, it's going to be a challenge. But they're going to have to make it work if we're going to be able to have a successful season. And I think uh... – to a point that you said earlier about uh, like the bubble, though, is that the problem is, is that they're not going to have, or like it doesn't seem like that there's going to be the bubble. They're just they're going to be playing against the same couple teams, but it's kind of going to going to be like baseball with how they just went around and did series, but they still traveled around from city to city. And I am trying to think of a way where they can like have a bulletproof plan to make sure that everyone's safe doing that. But in reality, it's there's a lot like up you know, a lot up for grabs when that happens. There's a lot of risk that they're doing. So I, if this is how it's starting and we're not even at that point yet, I'm a little concerned of once they start playing like shoulder to shoulder on the ice and then going to hotels and like going to the airports. I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. Um, I think this is, you can even take this outside of the NHL level where it's just, even with colleges, it's really all the same thing. If you really think about it. Um, I talked to uh, Josh, and I guess they, I think they really need to take the, I guess what University of Pittsburgh did, where you bring everyone back together, keep them in their dorms, or in this case, like hotel rooms for a couple weeks, let things work their way out. Hopefully, people don't get it, and then, you know, give them the two weeks or the traditional quarantine, and then really go from there because I don't really, it's not going to be, it, it's really going to be practically impossible to manage to manage to bring everyone together from, you know, every end of the world and not have someone get it. So you really do need to do the stay in the hotel for two weeks and do nothing and, you know, go take that route in order to make this work because, I mean, it's just this is the world we live in and, yeah. Yeah, and it'll uh, obviously be interesting. My The thing I've been, like, wondering is, if things go to according to plan in the regular season and things are with COVID are relatively calm among around the league, do they go back to a bubble setting for the playoffs like they did this year because it was so successful? Or do they just say, F it, it's, this is working. It's going to be cheaper just to do it the regular way. Just keep that going. Um, well, this actually feeds into our next part where with the whole bubble idea. So it looks like, the idea of having the, um, I guess what you could call it, short-term bubbles are going to, or not confirmed, but it's definitely leaning pretty far in that direction where they're going to do the, um, you know, couple-week bubble, player games, get your week off. It looks like that style is pretty, pretty much guaranteed to happen. Um, well, it's not going to be a bu- it's it's not going to be a bubble. It's just going to be they're going to be playing the same teams, like but they're still yeah, traveling. Yeah, I mean around. it's going to be mini bubbles, but yeah, that's but like, they're going to do it. Yeah, but they're not like all going to be together. Like they're still going to be in their own cities and whatnot. That's no, the problem. yeah, I know, but like yeah. you know, what I mean, you kind of have to. It's going to basically be a bunch of mini bubbles with just you're making every city. They're playing each other. In, yeah, basically. I got you. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll go over the proposed. Um, I guess new divisions that look like they're pretty. I I, I don't know. I, I don't want to call it yet, but it's it's looking pretty favorable that this is going to be it. Uh, so we have the All Canada Division. I think everyone called that one off the start, just with the uh, like the travel restrictions and all that stuff between the U.S. and Canada. So that division is going to be the Flames, Oilers, Canadians, Senators. Maple Leafs, Canucks, and Jets. Then this is where it gets interesting. So we have a – in the States, we have a East, Central, and West division. The East division is going to be the Bruins, Sabres, Hurricanes, Devils, Islanders, Rangers, Flyers, and Capitals. So that's fine. That all makes sense because that kind of that, – that's, I guess, truly the East. 
The Central Division in the West is where this gets interesting. So in the Central, you would have the Blackhawks, the Blue Jackets, the Red Wings, Panthers, Predators, Penguins, St. Louis, Blues, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that's that's kind of all over the place, just uh, geographically, because it's like, it kind of makes sense, and then you magically end up with the Lightning and Florida Panthers in there, Panthers in there somehow. I kind of thought that they would have gotten worked into the Eastern, or the, I guess, the East Division, and then um, maybe the Sabres go more toward the Central or something like that, but that'll definitely be interesting. And then we have the good old Wild West, where it's going to be the Ducks, Coyotes, Avalanche, Stars, Kings, Wild, Sharks, and Golden Knights. That is just, I don't know. I mean, that is like, that is a lot of ground to cover for one division. It's just kind of how it it's going to end up working out. But, yeah, just geographically, that is like a very large portion of the country to cover. So, got to make it work somehow. I guess this is it. It's just kind of, it's kind of impossible to please everybody. Because for some of these teams, they're going to definitely have um, some traveling to do with these new divisions. Whereas if you look at the East Division, I mean, some of these arguably aren't even like a plane ride. It's a couple-hour bus ride, and you can you can make it to, what, six of these teams in the East? It's not – that's not too bad. And then Canada, they're, they, they're just – yeah – they're going to have to cover they're, a lot of, a lot of ground. Place. I was going to say, jet lag is, is definitely got to be a thing. And that's for teams other than the Jets. But, um, yeah, the Jets are going to have super jet lag. That was an awful joke. But, uh, no, I like yeah, that. I don't know, man. For, like, Vancouver, if they have to go over to, uh, you Ottawa. know, Ottawa and Montreal. Montreal. Good luck because that's what – is that that's still three hours, I believe. The three-hour difference. Oh, oh yeah, time yeah, time zone wise. Is yeah, it three-hour time zone difference? Yeah, I mean that's got to be rough. Just but that's doing a long that back flight, and forth. Yeah, that is. That's not. I don't think it's the flight. I think it's going to be the time thing. But, yeah, but but it's the it's the American uh, American equivalent to like New York to L.A. But they're doing it all the time. Yeah, I. Yeah, like that has to get be old. some. I would imagine that and just how spread out Canada is. I mean, it's like it's insane how just how much I guess nothing there is between some of these cities. So that's definitely going to be a uh, very large hurdle because historically, back in the normal life, uh, most of these teams it was only what maybe the uh, the long two week I guess road trip where East teams would go out knock out all of the West teams and then vice versa. I mean, it was a it was a uh, pretty much a really long milk run, and that's how they did it. It was a one-and-done thing, and now this is unfortunately going to be regular life, but this is kind of the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, also, these divisions, which I, I've seen like all over the place too now, but like whenever they were first talking about realigning the divisions, this isn't what the original proposed divisions were. I think Pittsburgh was still with a, like a group of – similar eastern teams now they're being put it was in supposed to be I, I think it was supposed to be northeast was the yep. original idea they brought out where it was like northeast it was buffalo boston central and, and west yeah we were with like buffalo boston and a handful of uh other like metro teams but now yeah. we're being put in a division with no other metro teams uh three oh no sorry the columbus blue jackets so it's us in Columbus from the Metro. It's Detroit, Florida, Tampa from the Atlantic, and Chicago, St. Louis, Nashville from the Central. It is a wacky, wacky division. It it is like a little bit of everything. It's definitely the most diverse. Other, I guess, in the Canadian one, this is the most like diverse, like from multiple divisions, uh, division we've like new division we've seen, and. These are teams that we don't regularly play a lot. We don't play Chicago that often, unless it's like a Sunday afternoon on NBC game. Uh, Columbus, we see a lot of. Detroit, 
not as much. Florida, we really don't see that often. Nashville or St. Louis, not very often. And then Tampa, we we see in the playoffs typically, but like a, once or twice in the regular season. So I'm not really sure how we will fare in this division. If you look up and down, Tampa is the reigning Stanley Cup champions. So obviously they're probably the favored team. St. Louis won the Cup two years ago, and they still have most of that team together. So they have to be up there as well. And then after that, you look around, uh, Detroit's still bad. Chicago's still bad. Florida's still mediocre. Nashville's still pretty mediocre. Columbus is, I think, is a little better. I think Pittsburgh is like a pretty solidified number three team in that division. I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I guess not Not like ranking them, but a big discussion that I saw on Twitter is uh, like, how do you rank the teams? Because if you look at what the NFL is doing, I mean, they're, they're two completely different systems, but like it's almost hard to rank teams because so say someone gets it while traveling and you now have to take out the person who tested positive and then potentially put another you know, half a dozen people getting tested. And then if those results don't come back in time, like, for example, if, like, I don't know if Getzel or something got it and, like, Crosby and then practice for him, you're now knocking off the top line and whoever his buddies were around him. I mean, that is a huge, huge chunk you're taking out of the team. So this this year especially makes it really hard to even remotely guess at how teams are going to perform just with this – massive curveball curveball that's being thrown because if someone that's what I mean tests don't come back or whatever else something comes back late or uh, we get one of those um, inconclusive tests I mean you're potentially looking at knocking out an entire line and having to make people double shift and that kind of stuff so you could take these great teams like the lightning and one guy gets it and then I mean, that's it. It really is. It's kind of amazing how, all, how uh, I guess, all over the place this can be because it's not going to be like they're going to easily be able to pull out of the AHL just with the transition and them getting brought in with testing and stuff. That's definitely not a, not a very easy thing that they're going to be able to do, if at all. So this definitely, I feel like this – we talked about it last uh, last playoffs where one of the underdog teams can pull it off, but I feel like this is definitely the most level that the playing field has been in a very, very long time, if ever, just with this massive curveball, curveball of life being thrown into the mix. It is going to make it extremely hard to predict, and it's more or less going to go by who has the best, um, who has the best, I guess, policies and – that kind of stuff when it comes to testing and keeping all their uh, players in line, that's ultimately who's going to end up winning the cup and going pretty far at the end of the day, I believe, because one mistake, I mean, you're looking at, a, you know, a game a week at the rate that it sounds like they're playing games in a 60-game season. If you have someone out for, you know, five games, that, that's not a small chunk of your season. Another another question that I just thought of, like as you were talking, is um, traditionally they've always had like the four divisions, or at least rec- in recent memory they've had the four divisions, but they've been split into two conferences, and you've been able to do the playoffs that way. They pro- they can't do that because there's no definitive East and West, like two divisions for each side, because there's Canada then East Central West. So are they just going to have to do like? four like the top four of each division go in and then just they fight amongst each other and then what division goes against who like there's a lot to think of here and i don't exactly know how this is going to work out i guess the easiest way to do it because usually it's the central against whatever the makeshift pacific division is which is the west this time so is it going to be central against west and then canada against the east and then how is that fair are they just going to do it like ranked by like who has the best record there's a lot to think of here. Yeah, I would imagine that they're going to keep it pretty similar to what they did last year, where they'll probably, my guess is they'll probably take the the uh, top four from all the from the I guess four divisions, and I guess we're going to end up doing something that way. Where I don't know if the round robin potentially gets brought in, 
or how that would pair up because you can't really even keep the old format of where if you took East and West teams just because the divisions are so messed up, you could have you could potentially have you know what I mean you could potentially have like ten teams from the East just with how this could work out with the new divisions. So I don't know. I would imagine it's going to be one gigantic bubble, same thing they did last year. I know the players hated it, but that's kind of the only way to make this work, really, because you can't have teams going in and out. Maybe you do, like, if they did the round-robin type deal, do that in your home stadium, and then for, I guess, game one, try that again and do the uh, the little two-bubble system until the cup, but I couldn't really imagine any other way that they would manage to be able to, to successfully pull this off. You know, I get what you're saying, but like my, I and like, like I know that logistically they're probably just going to go back to what you were saying with like the bubble and everything, but I just don't understand competitively how they're going to decide because you can't, because the Canada division isn't in place of like the Metro. So you can't like just throw it in as East. So what division people like play, teams are going to go against like what division it just, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, cause we're so used to the two conference thing. Now you have four divisions after the, after like round one, does the team that wins out of the East play against the winner of the central? Do they play against the winner of the West or do they play against based off of their record? Like who was best plays against who's worst. I don't understand what, the plan here is, and I haven't heard anyone talking about this. Yeah, I think this is also another thing that I don't believe I've seen is um, now you're starting to see more and more travel restrictions. So that's what I mean. That's even a whole, that's a whole other problem that they're going to have to deal with is are the Canadian teams allowed to come here to come to the U S or is U S going to be allowed to go to Canada? Cause those rules have been changing quickly over the past couple months with schools and stuff coming back because I knew that was a big problem but now we're getting to the end of the semester and cases are look like looking ugh, looking like they're going up everywhere so you question with um, schools and that kind of stuff starting up in uh, January if if the cases still keep going I wouldn't be surprised to, if we went back to the no one in no one out of the country type deal yeah, I, I haven't even thought about like that though logistically like how like the Canadian team's gonna get put into this, but um I yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing like like we said, we're just gonna do the top four in each division, have like uh played the number one go against number four, then two and three, let that go for each division. But then after that happens and they have to start playing each other, that's where it just baffles me. I don't know what the plan is. This is also another idea that I don't know if you want to weigh in on, but um, we're, you're talking about logistics with, so yeah, I'm sure everyone's pretty much heard about how the NFL and uh, college football are doing. It's it's a downhill battle from here. It looks like, but if they're not, since they're not doing the bubble, your your debate is um, like, does the NHL like how how much are they going to be like able to govern this, like with playing in the uh, home stadiums for these teams. Are they going to almost have to go and designate, like, because most of these stadiums are multi-use and they're still holding stuff because we still have, like, college events going on. Are they essentially going to go into these stadiums and go, look, if you want to participate, we're taking, you know, these two locker rooms. No one's allowed in this. We're cleaning these. We're doing this. And then do the same thing with the buses, the airplanes, like that kind of stuff. Because I'm sure, like, you can do everything right and then – like they go to go get on, they go to get on their uh, charter plane, and those those like planes and stuff. I know those are used for everything. Like they're not just like they're like they don't have their own planes except for I think the Red Wings, where it's shared among basically everyone who uh, books them. So are they gonna like you know want to secure like a couple planes to take everyone around, use some bus like? you're going to need buses that are going to need to be cleaned just for, I guess, contact tracing and that kind of deal. Like you almost need to form basically a mobile operating room that is just, you know, super clean and like, you know, exactly what's going on. And 
Yeah, like that's that's just kind of part of the game that I think this is going to be it's, – it's a pretty big battle just with them not doing the bubble because that wasn't a problem before. It was get everyone there and then go from there. But now you have just all these external factors where it's like if someone has one hiccup, you know, it's really all over. Like one flight attendant has it or something, and they're handing out snacks. That's it. I mean, it, that's it. Well, here's my thing to, to what you're saying about the, uh, like, you know, what the, how they charter or whatever. They can't, like, if they wanted to, like, reserve planes, the reason that more teams can't do that is because of just money. If you look in the NFL, the only team that owns their planes are the New England Patriots. And you said Detroit's the only one in the NHL. The reason that they can't just reserve that is, like, you know better than anyone how expensive that is. Like, they can't afford that. No, I was I was saying that's where I was talking about with the NHL governing. Like, would the NHL go to like, you know, Delta or something and go, we'll pay because because you know, I mean, obviously the airlines aren't doing very well and no one's used because they have like they have special planes that are basically all like first class seats that they use to charter these things. Like, would they almost go to Delta or something and go, look, we're gonna make this work. We're gonna buy these two planes and use them for everything. So, like, we will pay for the NHL. This is the NHL, not the teams. They'll go, we're going to get, you know, these two planes and then go around and go, we're going to want, we want three buses in every city and do it that way where it's the NHL's thing. And then, like, I guess charge a fee to the team, but the NHL would would have to eat this in order for this to work. Like, uh, we only want these two teams. We're going to clean them our way, use our staff, use blah, 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 blah. That's what that's that's more or less what I was getting to is does the NHL are they going to be like would they or more or less be able to to step in and do something like that because if you leave it to the teams I mean it's it's kind of all over the place but if you book like you know specific things where you know where everyone's going to be in what seat and you know at that exact moment in time it's going to be way easier to I guess isolate the problems than it would be with I guess the current situation. I get your rationale and I get how you're saying about how like th- these airlines, like for instance, Delta, like could use the money or whatever, but I still go back to, I don't think the NHL has the extra money right now because of how much money they lost too. And I, I know what you're saying that like Delta would be down probably or whatever airline just for instance would just be down for any kind of deal. But I, I still think that they're make that, I don't know if it would make financial sense for them. I feel like they're still making, I know it's not a ton of money, but they're still making a good enough money. And you have to think that this kind of deal or something would happen if it's for, are you talking about playoffs or just like for the season in general? I'm talking to make, cause once they get the playoffs, we've already determined that the bubbles ha- happening. I'm talking about the regular season just with, but, but my thing was don't make the NHL play, like make the NHL secure it and have those things like in their name and they like kind of dictate how it works. And then almost like they would charge the teams like a fee to use them and kind of make money that way. That's what I was more or less getting at. I don't think it's a bad idea. I just don't know how feasible it is for the NHL just given because they lost so much money. Like they went yeah. an entire playoff without any ticket revenue and they went like a month and a half or a month and a couple weeks of regular season without any ticket revenue. There are teams that cannot like pay to the salary cap for their roster, like just like a couple extra million dollars or a couple like hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's an issue to them. So I have a hard time thinking that they, they can just throw a few million at an airline and say, Hey, can we like borrow these? I mean, I think there's bigger logistical issues that are going to just be the planes, but I don't know. It's 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 interesting to talk about. Yeah, I was just looking at the overall picture with because I know like they share stuff and just how that would work with like you know making everything super streamlined and I guess taking out as many um, I guess possible is knocking out as many hazards as you can. And before we move on with this, um, I kind of want to go through these divisions because I think it's very interesting how these are constructed. Um, let's start out West, which I think is the weakest division of all of them. I think that they all have like their strong spots and weak spots, but I think the West is by far the weakest. You have Anaheim, who uh, is just 
I mean, that we, but other than John Gibson, they're just terrible. Uh, they showed last last season that they have like a lot of young prospects, but they have a lot of uh, work that needs to be done. We have the Arizona Coyotes, which are they made the fake playoffs last year and they were in the hunt for the real ones, but I don't think they would have made it. They have a lot of talent on that team, but it's just such a dysfunctional franchise that I have a hard time seeing them uh, really compete. And then the juggernaut of the division is, I think, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, that's just an amazingly assembled uh, team from front to back with McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, Kadri. They have one of the best defensive uh, cores in the league. And uh, Grubauer and uh, Francis, that's not a bad duo. I think they could have upgraded there, but it's still not a bad duo. I think that's the team to beat in all of the Western Conference or whatever that is now. But um they're definitely, I think, the favorites in that division. Then you have the Dallas Stars, who were the Western Conference champions last season. I was never a big believer in Dallas. I think every division, at least on this pod, I mean, every uh, playoff round in this on the podcast, I thought that they'd lose, but they somehow still won. I, I think that they overplayed uh, their abilities. And then you look at the Kings, they're terrible. Like, all the way through, they're just terrible. They have some good young pieces coming up, but their roster for next season is not looking good. Same with Minnesota. San Jose had a down year, but I still think that they're they're so bad on in net that I have a hard time seeing them be able to compete. And then you have the Vegas Golden Knights, and we all know how good the Vegas Golden Knights are. So in that division, there is, I think you basically already know who's going to make the playoffs. Uh, I don't know what if they're, like, they're going to do the top four in each division or what, but the top three there no matter what, are going to be Colorado, Dallas, Vegas. If I, if there is a betting line I could put money on for the Western Division, those three teams are the easiest money in any of these divisions to make the playoffs. It's going to be a very uncompetitive division, in my opinion. Unless San Jose somehow, like one of their goalies, just comes out of nowhere and starts being competent again, or maybe Minnesota comes out of nowhere, I don't really know. But I don't expect a whole lot of surprises from that division what do you have to say about the west um i don't know i yeah it's just with this getting cut up it's it's pretty i think this is definitely one of the uh i guess more skewed where you know you're gonna have um colorado and the knights and then i guess dallas where it's pretty much gonna be a pretty uh i don't want to say set but like it's it's going to be hard for any of these teams because it's a pretty big margin just with someone to be able to pull it off. Um, yeah, it just it's just interesting. Okay, so that's for that was uh, my little spiel for the West Division. I want to save the Central for last because that's going to be the one that's clo- closest and nearest dear to our hearts. Uh, the East Division is an interesting one. You uh, Like you said earlier, it's Boston, Buffalo, Carolina, New Jersey, both New York teams, Philly, and Washington. I think that is probably going to be the most one of the more competitive divisions. I know we've talked about on this show that we think Boston's going to regress a little bit. Buffalo is going to get better. Carolina's great. New Jersey, you, don't, you never know from year to year what you're really getting from them. They have a lot of good young pieces, I think, that could improve but I still don't see them being a playoff team next year. Uh, then you have both New York teams. The Islanders uh, made it to the Eastern Conference final last year. I don't think they have that in them again, but I, they obviously have the talent in the system to get there. The Rangers are up and coming, and they have a lot of great young pieces. I could see them being competitive this year. Philly, again, I think they overplayed a bit last season, but I still think that they're a contender. And Washington is Washington. As long as they have Ovi, Backstrom, Carlson, they are going to be Washington. So out of that division, it's a little harder to see who are the have and have nots. I think the easiest one to write off is New Jersey. Could probably throw Buffalo in there, but like I said, I think that they're going to have they're going to put a little more fight this year into it, especially with Taylor Hall. Um, so if you want to talk about the top four playoff teams, well, I, think I say Washington's in there, hundred percent. Carolina's in there, hundred percent. Third probably Philly, and then I'd say one of the New York teams is four. But Boston's going to put up a fight. The uh, Whatever New York teams that, that's on the outside is going to put up a fight. Buffalo's going to be there. 
it should be an interesting little division. Yeah, I'm thinking um, East and Central are probably going to be your uh, closest divisions for the good teams. And then Canada, it, it kind of is ironic how this works out because you're getting more toward the, um, you know, like the 500 teams where you're getting, you have a majority of the teams are pretty close. Yeah, for the East, uh, this I think this uh, postseason is definitely going to have a pretty big effect, effect with um, – you know, the Bruins potentially cooling off a little bit. And then, yeah, it seems like the Devil. the Devils are a really weird team where they're, like, super hit or miss every year. It seems like they always start out well and then cool off. But with that shortened season, they might not be able to cool off as much. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be one where uh, we're going to – I'm thinking those third and fourth playoff spots, if that's how they do it, I don't know. It's almost pull a pull a name out of a hat type deal. Just that this is this is pretty close. I feel the same way about this Canadian division because a few years ago, I think it was 2015. It was no Canadian team made the playoffs, and all the teams were kind of in this like purgatory where like it didn't seem like anything good was going to come out of it. And then Edmonton gets McDavid. And then Toronto gets Austin Matthews. Uh, Vancouver gets Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Winnipeg gets Patrick Laine and Mark Shifley. And Calgary gets Johnny Gaudreau. All these teams are kind of on the up. And they're all kind of progressing together. None of these teams are teams like that have had a ton of success and are now on the decline. I think all of these teams are rising up together. Calgary... Um, I, I, I believe in Calgary. I like that the moves that they made in the offseason, they were a playoff team and easily, I think, can, can be back this next season. Edmonton is always going to be a hit-or-miss team. It's either McDavid and Dreisaitl will carry them or they get injured or, and they miss the playoffs. Montreal made a lot of, uh, a lot of moves this offseason, not always great moves, but they, they did a lot of uh, you know, like changing there for better or for worse. Ottawa is still a rebuilding team. They're the one team that I think it's easy that you can count out in that division, but they're going to do better than they did last year. Toronto is the juggernaut that the offensive juggernaut we've been watching for the past few years. They have talent out the wazoo and they're going to be a great fun team to watch again. Vancouver, same thing. They're a little younger than Toronto, but they have the talent to be a contender and Winnipeg who's had some, like like Toronto, I think said some tough luck on the back end, but up up front they are one of the best teams in the league. So, the, like I said, the only weak spot in that division is Ottawa. Any of these other teams—Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg—I could easily see making the playoffs. I think if I was betting on it, I would say Edmonton and Toronto are, and Edmonton, Toronto, and Vancouver are probably the locks. But Calgary and Winnipeg are very competitive teams that I could easily see making the playoffs here. So what do you think about the Canadian division? See, this is the one where I think that I don't really know that I can call someone who's guaranteed because I'm looking at, um, like, record-wise, I'm thinking it's going to be a scramble between uh, Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, and Winnipeg because their records, I mean – they're right on top of each other, almost literally. They're within, um, you know, a couple games of each other. So I think I, them in Edmonton, I think it's going to be a – I think this is definitely going to be a scramble and a battle of injuries and test results. I really do because one of these teams are going to end up not getting in, and I think this is going to be the most hard-fought, I guess, battle. I guess – I don't know. Montreal might be able to get thrown in there if they magically do something. Um, If they can magically pull something off, I could see it. I still think Ottawa, they made some additions, but I don't quite, I don't quite stick them in the group, but um, I'm thinking we're going to have like a good, probably a good like five team um, mix up where I can't really, I, I, I can't really tell you who's going to be in it. More or less, um, I don't think – I think this is probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, some of the games we're going to see getting played. I think it's going to be a super fun division to follow. 
I think the um, the rights holders for NHL games in Canada, which is uh, Sportsnet and TSN, I think that they're loving this because there's going to be so many people in Canada watching these games. There's going to like they're going to sell commercials and advertisements like crazy up there. Having Vancouver and Toronto, like these are teams that back in the day used to play a lot whenever there was like. Uh, more Canadian-centric divisions, but now they all kind of got spread out because the league has become more, like, Americanized, for lack of a better word. But now they're going to be playing each other in, like, mini-series. You're going to have a three-game series of Toronto-Montreal, a three-game series of Calgary-Edmonton, three-game series of Winnipeg-Calgary. Like, this is going to be really fun. This is going to basically be the version of the uh, Canadian Super Bowl, except for, like, three months like, yeah. I see this as basically being um, every game's going to be great, and they're all just going to be absolutely covered in um, uh, poutine and maple syrup. It's just going to be an absolute frenzy. Uh, yeah, just uh, it's going to be I, – I, I, I really do. I think this is this has got to be probably one of the – because this is almost like the – because I'm thinking the Olympics is really the only thing where, like, you know, they have a pretty good lead. It's just, I think this is going to be pretty exciting because now you're going to have, um, you know, city versus city, and it's going to be nonstop for the better part of, uh, you know, three, four months from what it looks like. In Canada's, you know, like, is, I'm assuming they're going to go with some kind of division playoff format. So if that's the case, they're guaranteed a team, at least one team, into the second round. So that's going to be good for Canadian revenue too with the uh, TV deals and whatnot. So no matter how they chop this up, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting storylines to follow is what happens with the Canadian division and who's able to like fight their way out uh, and be the last Canadian team standing. Now our division, our beloved Pittsburgh Penguins are in the wackiest of divisions, however, uh, with Chicago, Columbus, Detroit, Florida, Nashville, St. Louis and Tampa, as you said earlier. And like I said earlier, it seems like there are some haves and have-nots in this division. Chicago, although I believe that they are pretty clearly a have-not, and they basically admitted that they're going to be a rebuilding team this past offseason. They wrote a letter on their social media to their fans saying, like, hey, tough times are ahead and whatnot. So they are openly rebuilding, so they shouldn't be competitive. However, there's still a team with... Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Duncan Keith. Any team that has those players on it that can, and they still perform as well as they do are a threat. We saw in the first round of the playoffs where they were supposed to have no chance against Edmonton, Jonathan Taze carried that team on his back and beat Edmonton as a 12th seed against a 5th seed. So I don't want to count them out too quickly, but I do think that now that they're openly rebuilding, there's a better chance that they sell off pieces like maybe Duncan Keith, I don't think Taser Kane are ever going to leave, but we'll see. So I'm not very high on the Chicago, on the Blackhawks' chances. Columbus, on the other hand, they're one of those teams that we've seen that can really play in the playoffs. They were able to dunk on the Maple Leafs this past season, and then the year before, like freaking LeBron James dunk on the Tampa Bay Lightning when they swept them as the lowest-seeded team to coming into the playoffs. So they're a team that once they get in, I think that they're really competitive and can have a good shot at it. But the regular season always seems to be a drag for them because they're not the most talented offensively. Detroit is Detroit. I don't need to talk about them. They're not going to be good. There's no way. Florida is a team that's always been on the fringe. This could be the year where they break out if one of the top three teams in this division really starts slacking. If like the Penguins or Blues start showing their age, I think the Panthers could kind of sneak in there. Same with Nashville. I think that they're more on the lower end of that spectrum, kind of on their way down. But they still have Roman Yossi. They still have Pecorine. They still have a, like a really good defensive core where I think that they could become a threat. The Penguins, I love the Penguins, but this is probably their last shot or one of their last shots to do this. So I don't, they're on their way down, but they still have Crosby Malkin. And this is going to be probably this is going to be a wackier year than last season was. So maybe the chances are better. Maybe they're not. I'm not really sure yet. I'm going to have to wait and see what team hits the ice whenever we start. Uh, and then St. Louis, 
two years ago removed from a Stanley Cup championship, they're great. Tampa, one year removed from a Stanley Cup, they're great. I, if I had to bet on it, I'd say Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Tampa, then maybe fourth Columbus maybe. But honestly, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm thinking it's going to be a scramble for the top spot between St. Louis and Tampa Bay. I'd imagine they're probably going to uh, pull ahead of the pack pretty good. It's going to be – they're going to be fighting for that one and two seed. I'm giving Pittsburgh the third. I don't want to say that – I don't know. I don't want to be super optimistic. I think they're going to end up getting the third, but I think someone's going to give them the run for the money because – you still have um, Columbus, Florida, and then Nashville, but they're on their way down. But I think one of those teams are going to end up – they're going to end up getting hot right at the right moment. And I think it's really going to be just kind of a battle of maybe two or three teams. If Pittsburgh can play like, um, play like they normally do, they should be able to secure it. But I also think if they got off to a little bit of a slump – I don't know, man. I, I don't know that I wouldn't quite stick him out of the uh, the mini battle for the uh, that fourth spot if someone manages to get really hot. I don't think it'll I don't think it'll happen. But yeah, if I'm Pittsburgh, I don't think I'm sitting comfortably, you know, just planning on getting that third. I think someone's gonna get hot, and then it's gonna be a, a hard fought battle to the end. And if we've learned anything from this entire new division realignment it's that chaos yields creativity and i really am enjoying how creative that they were with this because their hands were tied the league with the canadian border being closed and they got really creative with realigning these divisions obviously it's not perfect there are teams that are going to like this more than others um i don't know if the penguins benefit really from leaving the metro and going to this division or not uh, I think it's going to create new rivalries. You're going to see, like, have, has there any have ever been any bad blood between the Penguins and Panthers before? No. So, like, you're going to see these teams that we're going to play more often now. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and that, I think that's all we have to say about the divisions. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, my only thing with this is it's kind of ironic because um, obviously they split this up geographically and – I don't know, because I, I thought it was kind of weird, because I, I guess I kind of had that, like, thing in my head where, oh, it's going to be, there's going to be a division that's absolutely, you know, they're going to be abysmal, and then there's going to be one division where it's all just, like, phenomenal top-tier teams. And I think uh, across the board, even though the, that it is split up uh, geographically, it's, I, I think it's decently fair. I mean, Canada's... Canada, they're, they're their own country, so, you know, that that's a whole different thing. But whenever you look at East Central West, it's not like there's going to be an absolutely abysmal, um, you know, division where it's just going to be an absolute landslide. It looks like they're all going to be kind of close now, that margin larger than others. Um, but I don't know. I was just kind of surprised because I, I figured the East would be pretty loaded just – with uh, all those super hot teams. And then the way they ended up splitting it, I think it's going to work out where I think this is probably about as fair as it's going to get. Yeah. Like you said, I think that, I think the East though is a, is, is like going to be a little better than the West. I think the central is kind of that like medium team where there's a good balance. I think the West has a little, a little more weakness, but their hands were tied. Like you can't put any of the California teams in the East. And those are three of the worst teams teams that were in the league last year so it's 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 luck you know they didn't have control over all of it no but i'm saying for the central like they could have easily clumped the blackhawks red wings predators you could probably throw the uh wild in there and then you're already looking at four teams where it's like eh you know I mean, they could have easily gone that route and then ended up slapping um you know throw st louis and uh throw St. Louis in there, and, I mean, that's that's a runaway. So, I think they could have easily have done it. I think this is about as fair as it's going to get. It's interesting travel-wise how uh, our divi- or the Central Division doesn't have to go too far. I think the Florida teams are kind of the uh, like anomaly there. But then you look out west and you see that Minnesota is going to have to travel far for every single game. They're going to live on the West Coast. 
and they'll they'll have like an they'll have like a hotel room when they get back to Minnesota. But they should just buy a house in California for how often that they're going to be out there. It's going to be tough, but they'll live. This is all unprecedented times, and everyone's making sacrifices. Unfortunately, theirs is going to be hours spent on an airplane. <laughs> yep. Um, I think that's everything for the divisions. We have one last thing we want to talk about before we head out for today. And that is the situation regarding the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, a few weeks ago, I brought up uh, Matthew Barzal and how the Islanders are going to have a tough time re-signing him because they're low on money, but he's the only guy that they need to re-sign. So it's not too bad on that front. You look at Tampa Bay Lightning. They are kind of screwed, and I don't think enough people are talking about it. They have $2.89 million worth of cap space, and they need to re-sign forward Anthony Sorelli, Defender Eric Cernak and defender Miguel, Mikhail Sergachev. Uh, on the open market, if these guys weren't RFAs, I say Sergachev probably gets like seven million. Uh, Cernak could probably get somewhere around four or five million. And Sorelli, with how good he is of a defensive forward, probably could easily get five million too. I don't know what their plan here is. They tried moving Tyler Johnson in the like uh, in the earlier in the offseason. They uh, tried trading him. They tried placing him on waivers. Nobody bit. So they have. They either have to move money or have to trade one of these guys. What do you, What do you think the solution here is? I don't know. I kind of think they're in. A, they're because we were talking about the Knights with how because they're like millions and millions over. They're it's pretty substantial. Something's got to give. But they're just definitely in a weird situation. Um, I mean, realistically, they're probably only going to get one. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some weird, like, oh, man. I don't know. It, I think they, they might be able to get one. They're definitely not getting um, all three of them, all three players. But, yeah, they're kind of in a weird uh, weird loop of – I mean, they're, they're all pretty much going to cost the same within, you know, a million or – million and a half of each other i guess it's just pick whatever you need the most but i don't know you wonder if they're going to get rid of some um i guess some like fourth line guys that are only making you know a mill or something like that to free up space to potentially get another one but yeah unfortunately this is just how it works with um every this happens to every team every couple of years where you end up with a few great players Contract time comes around, and uh, yeah, that's just kind of how it works. I've seen people throw around Ryan McDonough's name. He makes uh, six point seven five, so that would bring them up to about nine million dollars. But they, that, I still don't think that's enough to re-sign all three of those guys. And if you trade McDonough, at that they'll only have three NHL defensemen to a contract. They have Victor Hedman, Braden Coburn. Luke Shen. So obviously I think the two defensemen are going to be the priority with Eric Cernak and Mikhail Sorgachev. They need to be signed first, but even then they'll only have, they'll have six defenders or if they get rid of McDonough, they'll be, they will be five defenders. So something has to give here earlier in the off season, Stamkos's name was brought up, but nothing came of that. And the only teams that have money to take on Stamkos are like Detroit and Ottawa. And I don't see either of those teams really needing him. Although a Detroit fit could make sense because uh, his former mentor and GM, Steve Eiserman's the GM there now. So maybe, but I don't, it's going to be really hard to see what happens there. Um, and there's no, they're kind of running low on time here. So I'm not sure what's going to give, but within the next couple of weeks, something's going to have to. Uh, and one more thing before we go, actually, is we have trivia. Would you like to do that now or do you want to wait for later to do that? Sure. We'll start it off. Um, I'll, I'll start off. I'll ask you the questions. Absolutely. So who was the first team to win a, to win back-to-back Stanley Cups? Montreal Canadiens, New York Rangers, Ottawa Senators, or Boston Bruins? It would be the original. So the Ottawa Senators. It would be the original six Ottawa Senators because it's a new. It's a new franchise now. Um, I have. I was. My instinct is to say Montreal, but I want to say it's Ottawa. 
It is. It was the Ottawa Senators. I was thinking to go Montreal just because they have – I don't even know how many cups at this point. It's in like the upper 20s, I something. think. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it was the Ottawa Senators. They were the first team to go back-to-back. All right, here's a good one. Which NHL team once drafted a player that did not exist? Ooh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers, Buffalo Sabres, Pittsburgh Penguins, or the Atlanta Flames? I saw the story this week, but I don't remember who it was. Can you read through the teams again? Philadelphia Flyers, Buffalo Sabres, Pittsburgh Penguins, Atlanta Flames. I don't I know I don't I know it wasn't the Penguins. Oh, it could be either of the three teams. I don't think you would throw in the Flames, the Atlanta Flames, without it actually being the Atlanta Flames. So I'm gonna say the Atlanta Flames. It was not. It was the Buffalo Sabres in nineteen seventy-four. They selected Star Center Taro Tuji Moto from the Japan Ice Hockey League. In the 11th round of the NHL draft, the pick was made official, and it was reported by the Hockey News, but uh, he didn't exist, and the team didn't exist either. So, I, I, it turned, I guess it turned out to be a prank, but um, yeah, the league was not happy that, or the Japan League was not very happy that they did this. And, um, yeah, because I guess it got, like, published. Like, it made newspapers and stuff that they drafted him, and uh turns out he doesn't even exist. That's that's pretty funny. I'll give him that. Um, so I have my two questions for you. There are currently two active NHL players who have scored 60 goals in a season. Which of the following players is not one of them? Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, Steven Stamkos. Sidney Crosby. That's correct. Sidney Crosby's not scored 60 goals I knew, in the season. I knew for a fact that Ovechkin's done it. Because he's done it multiple, I believe. Um he I I don't think he has done it. He's done he got he hasn't gotten it multiple times. He's gotten fifty a ton of times. But he's okay. when he got sixty, he got sixty-five. Which is crazy, Jeez. and Stam and Stamkos got sixty, uh, exactly sixty in the 2011-2012 season, and that was a crazy season. He got to play with uh, Vinny Lecavier and Marty Saint Louis, so it was a great season for him. I remember that. Um, okay, how? Okay, of the last thirty Art Ross Trophy winners, do you know what the Art Ross is? Correct. It's the most points in the season. Yeah. Okay, so of the last thirty leading point scorers in the NHL. How many are how many were Pittsburgh Penguins when they won it? Okay. In the last how many years? In the last 30 years. I'm going to give you All right, so we have one year. I'm 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 going to give you Okay. Okay. Gonna, no, it's not just um people how many times No, no, no. I I'm just making sure that like Lemieux and them would be in this. So Yes, but okay. you have to remember that they won multiple times. So Yes, I know. 10 12 or 15? 12. 15 of the last 30 Art 15? Ross trophies have been Holy Pittsburgh Penguins. Smokes. Half of the time. That's if, incredible. If, if there's a 30-year-old out there right now, of the half of their life, a Pittsburgh Penguin has been the scoring champion. That's crazy. Who does it say? Because I'd imagine it was, it, it was who? Lemieux? Probably Lemieux was a good chunk of those. Honestly, Yager was a good chunk of them too. Was it? I was going to say it had to have been more in the Lemieux Yager era. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Um, Crosby has one, two. I thought he had more. He has he one, four. Crosby only has two, actually. Oh no, wow! Wait. Yeah, two. Uh, Malkin has two. Yager has one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, Yager has five. Lemieux has one, two, three, four, five, six. I might have counted that wrong. No, 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 that's right. Yeah, but yeah, Lemieux has the most, then Yager, Crosby, and Malkin each have two. So yeah, that's unbelievable. That I I remember hearing that somewhere, and I had to look it up to confirm it because I knew that that would be a good trivia thing for you. 
So yeah, that's unreal. That goes to show you the Penguins fans are absolutely spoiled. We are absolutely spoiled. It's insane how lucky we've had it. Um, I think that's all for this episode. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Unit Report. Uh, we had a great time doing it, all covering all NHL news before anything, any training camp or anything starts up. But it was a good episode. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Lucas. That's Troy. And we will see you guys next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Unit Report. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at The Unit Report. <laughs>